We're going through the book of Joshua in this series called To Set Foot on the Road Never Traveled. Now, there are valuable lessons to be learned from the book of Joshua because Israel's story at that time is not so different from the journey that we are facing today. God was commanding them onto a path that was unfamiliar and challenging and dangerous. But it was a path that leads them to life and blessing and peace. Now, their journey may look quite different from ours on the outside, but on the inside, it is essentially the same path of faith and obedience in God that we are in today. That's why we're taking a look at their past journeys to understand ours today. Now, in chapter 8, Israel won over I, and it was soon becoming clear to everyone that Israel was becoming unstoppable. And so the forces in, in Canaan began to plan a counterattack measure. And we saw the first wave in chapter 9, when the Gibeonites realized that military force was not going to do the trick. They decided to use deception, and it worked because Israel, again, forgot to defer to God. But in chapter 9, the second wave of Canaanite counterattack begins. And it is a southern coalition of, the, of five kings that joined forces to destroy Israel. And in the face of that great danger, Israel returns back to God wholeheartedly. And so God turns that impossible situation into a victory for them. And so when we get to chapter 11 and 12, Actually, an even greater threat, a third counterattack begins, and it was forming on the horizon. Israel learned firsthand, as we will see today, that the path to follow God is always a battle to the end. It's always a battle to the end. So let me read to you some key portions of chapter 11 and 12. It's an interesting story. When Jabin, king of Hazor, heard of this, he sent to Jobab, king of Madon, and to the king of Shimron, and to the king of Akshap, and the kings who were in the northern hill country, and in the Arabah south of Chinneroth, and in the lowland, and in Naphtoth Dor on the west, to the Canaanites in the east and the west, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, and the Jebusites in the hill country, and the Hivites under Hermon in the land of Mizpah. And they came out with all their troops, a great horde, in number like the sand that is on the seashore, with very many horses and chariots. And all these kings joined their forces and came and encamped together at the, at the waters of Merom to fight against Israel. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them, for tomorrow at this time I will give over all of them slain to Israel. You shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. So Joshua and all his warriors came suddenly against them by the waters of Merom and fell upon them, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Israel. Joshua made war a long time with all those kings. There was not a city that made peace with the people of Israel except the Hivites, the inhabitants of Gibeon. They took them all in battle. So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had spoken to Moses. And Joshua gave it for an inheritance to Israel according to their tribal allotments. And the land had rest from war. Now these are the kings of the land whom the people of Israel defeated and took possession of their land beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. 
And these are the kings of the land whom Joshua and the people of Israel defeated on the west side of the Jordan. In all, 31 kings. So chapter 12 ends by summarizing the past journey so far. And it marks the end of the first phase of Israel's journey from Egypt into the promised land. They had settled, started to settle in. They have finally arrived at this milestone. So now seems like a good time for us to look back at their whole journey so far, all the battles that they won and lost, and see for ourselves the patterns and themes that define what it means to be God's people, what it means to walk on this path of faith and obedience in God. Now, there's three things that we can learn from Israel's journey. Number one, let's look at what to expect to the end, where to do battle to the end, and how to persevere to the end. What to expect, where is our battle, and how do we persevere? Now, number one, what can we expect to the end? Because when we look at the book of Joshua, there's a very clear pattern here. That is, there's always going to be a battle. See, the book of Joshua gives us this pattern right here. It says every time the surrounding culture heard about what God was doing with his people, there was an equal and opposite force that resisted and opposed God and his people. Now, in chapter 2, Rahab said, we have heard how the Lord dried up the water. And so, clearly, the people in the land of Canaan had heard about the wonders of what God had done, the covenant God of Israel doing wonders to liberate and lead his people in. And so Rahab decided to abandon her old life and throw in her lot to Israel and their God. And by that faith, despite her shady past as a prostitute, she was spared and she became part of God's people under God's protection and blessing. And so as early as chapter 2, Rahab had already become a sign of what the Canaanite people could have become if they chose to surrender and put their faith in the covenant God of Israel. Unfortunately, Rahab was more of a, an exception to the rule because all through the book of Joshua, every time the people heard what the Lord was doing, they decided to take it into a battle. In chapter 5, when the kings of the Canaanites heard, they decided to fortify their resistance. And when, when, when the kings who were beyond the Jordan heard of this, they gathered together as one to fight against Israel and their God. They gathered their forces and went up with all their armies. So again and again, as the people heard about God, as the surrounding culture heard about God, they decided to oppose, to, to resist the advance of God and His people. Now, God does miracle after miracle after miracle to lead Israel to victory. And you would think by now, after the Saturn coalition was defeated by Israel, you would think by now people in Canaan would start to reconsider their opposition, would start to reconsider their decision to fight against them. But that is exactly the counterpoint of chapter 11. That is, in chapter 11, when Jabin king of Hazar heard again, they joined forces to fight against Israel. Now, 
I'm not really interested in talking about geopolitics today. What I'm after is the wider principle that happens each and every time every man and woman seeks to follow God. It happens in Israel's battlefields. It happens in our homes, in our churches, in our workplaces. It happens everywhere at all times. And the wider principle is that the path of faith and obedience is always full of battles. There is going to be opposition and danger and resistance. It's going to be difficult. There is a holy war going on against God. There are forces opposed against God. And if you seek to follow God, you will also become one of its targets. Now in the Old Testament, we see this. It often breaks out into violence and physical conflicts, right? You have Pharaoh chasing after Israel. You have Queen Jezebel trying to murder Elijah. You, you have Sanballat trying to destroy Nehemiah and his work. And this theme continues all the way to the New Testament. You have, of course, our Lord Jesus Christ being crucified by the Pharisees. You have Stephen stoned by the Jews. You have the church persecuted by the Roman powers. See, if you consider yourself a Christian, you must understand that this is the heritage that we are coming from. You are coming from a long line of people who have faced tremendous opposition and persecution and resistance against them and their faith. What makes us think that being a Christian today is going to be any different, that it's going to be any easier? It's not. All cultures, including ours today, always throw certain stumbling blocks against God and His kingdom. It has always been that way from the beginning of sin, and the book of Revelation says that's how it's going to be all the way to the end. Now, nowadays, that battle doesn't really break out into violence, not that often anymore, at least not in our context. But more often than not nowadays, it's more personal and psychological and emotional and social, right? When you start to become serious with God, and I'm, just, I'm talking about being deeply serious with God, not just dabbling with God, not just sprinkling a little bit of church on top of your life. When you're becoming serious with God, you start to get mocked, ignored. You're called ignorant and a fool because the darkness hates the light and those who embrace it. There is a battle. So therefore, it is just an absolute fantasy to think that we can somehow be an exception, that we can somehow be a follower of God and have it easy and not face much battles. It's an absolute fantasy. There, there's no such thing. If, see, if you keep waiting and waiting for, for a pain-free obedience, then you're never going to find it. You're never going to do it. You're never going to step into God's path and the promises that He gave us. Is it ever going to be any easier to be deeply serious about God? Is it ever going to be fashionable? Is it ever going to be safe? No, because there is no other path aside from this path that involves a battle. That is the path of faith and obedience. We need to expect that and accept it and really learn to step into it because that is what it means to be God's people. 
Now, that may sound difficult, but it actually helps to be absolutely clear about the kind of battles that we're facing, which is number two. Where is the battle that we're supposed to fight? We're supposed to fight this battle and not fight the other battles. Let's not fight all the battles. Let's learn to fight where our battles should be. Now, to understand this, we need to look at Israel's journey again. What is the fundamental reality behind all their battles and ours? If there's anything that we can learn from Israel's journey is that the fundamental reality behind every battle is that the battle belongs to God. He decides what the outcome of the battle is and how he will do it. Now, we've seen God work in various amazing ways in Israel's journey so far. In the battle of Jericho, God crumbled the walls, demonstrating that he is the God sovereign over human strength. In the battle of Ai, God gave the strategy demonstrating that he is the God sovereign over human wisdom. In the battle against the Southern Coalition, God sent hailstorm and answered Joshua's prayer for the sun to stand still, demonstrating that he is the God sovereign, not just over man, but over nature, over the whole world. And so God does miracle after miracle, demonstrating his divine power and wisdom. And in every instance, the deciding factor behind all those battles is not Israel or the enemy or favorable circumstances. It is God because the battle belongs to him. It's his and his to decide what would happen. But here comes the surprising twist in chapter 11 because in chapter 11, Israel is now facing the greatest threat so far with overwhelming numbers with horses and chariots, which is the, 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 the most fearsome fighting machinery available at that time. So this is their greatest and most powerful enemy yet. And yet what does God say? God simply says, I will give, them, give over all of them to you. He does not say how. He does not say, he does not promise any miracles, any, any walls crumbling down, any hailstorms. He doesn't promise anything. He simply says, go and fight and I will handle the rest. Because the battle belongs to the Lord, Israel should know by now that God will do what he will do. It is not their business. It is not their decision to make. It is not their battle. Their battle has to do with the question of obedience. That is what is up to us. That is the battle we must face. And that is where we must win no matter what the cost. When God says go, will we go? Without delay, without doubt, even though we are going to face an overwhelming enemy, even though we have no idea how we can come out of it alive, it does not matter. The question is when God says go, Will we go? That is our battle to face. It is not our battle to foresee how the battle would come out and how we would fare in that. That is not our battle to make. That is up to God. That is His decision. But the small corner of the battlefield that we have to do with is the question of obedience. In every battle, what we must focus on is trusting and obeying Him. Everything else that's 
God's decision. That is His business. We entrust that to God. And see, the kind of obedience that is required from us as His people is vastly about the ordinary hidden things. See, it says here, Joshua made war a long time with all those kings. And it says, it says in chapter 12, they have defeated 31 kings. Now, when you look back at the book of Joshua, there are just a couple of battles mentioned. That means there are so many other battles that were not even worth mentioning in this book. It means Joshua and Israel had to make a choice again and again and again to go into battle, into the unspectacular battles, small or large battles, un unspectacular battles, ordinary battles. But again and again and again, they had to choose to obey and follow God into all of that. And that small acts of obedience is what accumulated into a lifetime of obediences that allowed them to reach this milestone of victory. See, we like to celebrate the spectacular victories, the mighty acts of power, and rightly so, we should. But we vastly underestimate the small acts of obedience that snowball over time into something huge, into something vast, into the very foundation upon which God's power would break out into our lives. Will we obey in these small, ordinary things? Will we keep on praying behind closed doors, hidden? Will we keep denying ourselves for the sake of God and other people? Will we keep going to church every Sunday? These are the acts of obedience that are ordinary, yes. Unspectacular, yes. Tedious, maybe even boring, yes. Unimportant, no. They are of eternal significance. And these are the kinds of battles that we have to face right here, right now. These are the battles to win. See, if we keep waiting and brushing off these small little things, and we just say to ourselves, you know, when I get to the critical juncture, when a big leap of faith is required, I will make the right choice. If we keep saying that, then we will never do it. We will never find it. We will never step into the path of God's promise. Because before you even get to those crossroads, those defining crossroads, you have to walk the path that is only walked by small steps of obedience, countless small steps of obedience. There is no other path aside from that. See, our battles of faith and obedience are vastly about the hidden choices, the minor decisions, the boring stuff, the ordinary things, unspectacular things. Those, those are the battles that will, that will pave the way for the path of walking towards God. And that is where faith does its battles. And so, yes, that is the path that we take. Is the ordinary things, day by day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment. And every time, that is going to be a battle. And we must win. We must obey. Now, that may sound difficult. And in fact, you will fail, just as I will fail inevitably. 
How then do we keep getting back up, keep going forward, keep fighting? How, number three, do we persevere to the end? Now, when chapter 12 ends, it marks a milestone, right? It, mar it marks a milestone that Israel from the wilderness has entered into the promised land and they've made a beachhead. They've been able to settle down. And so chapter 12 recounts all their victories so far from the time of Moses all the way to this point in time. And so it says there in chapter 11, Joshua took the whole land and they had rest from war. Now, but in chapter 13, it also says, the Lord said there remains yet very much land to possess. So yes, they have won the battle so far. They have reached this milestone, but there is work yet to be done. But this is a milestone, and in this milestone, the stage is now set to enjoy some rest, to enjoy some blessings. And as we will see in, in these chapters and in the following chapters, this period of time was crucial. It was a time to recollect the battles that was won by God's power. It was a time to, to reaffirm their covenant with God. It was a time to receive the allotment of their blessings. That they have, that they can now enjoy because of their faithful obedience thus far. See, this period of rest from war, it was a pocket of peace in a time of war. Which means Israel was not to keep on endlessly going forward, busying themselves with battle after battle. No, no, no. Israel was called to enjoy a pocket of peace regularly. Because it's the key to persevering. It's the key so that they can keep moving forward and battling to the end. They need that, and so do you and I. See, this rhythm of resting and rejoicing in God is already baked in to the covenant of God with Israel. God commanded them to honor the Sabbath, a, a weekly a regular time to rest and unwind and rejoice along with other festivals, right? Because God was commanding His people that even though they were perpetually engaged in a holy war, regularly they need to step back and rest and rejoice in Him so that they can have the strength to keep moving forward. And that is why even for us Christians, we are called to honor the Sabbath. See, Every Sabbath is a time to rest and rejoice. Yes, there are battles yet to be faced. Yes, there are many, many kingdom work yet still to be done. Yes, you fight the good fight of the faith from Monday to Saturday. But when Sunday comes, it is a Sabbath rest from war. It is a pocket of peace. And in that day, God calls us, just like Israel, to, recoll to recollect the battles that was won in the past six days, the battles won by God's power and grace. It was a time to reaffirm the covenant of God through Jesus Christ for us. It was a time to receive the blessings allotted to us once more in Jesus Christ. God was commanding His people to enjoy this Sabbath rest. This rest for us is a rest from war so that we may persevere, so that we would enter once more into Monday, not 
dreading the day, not filled with dread, but filled with song. Not clueless about what we are supposed to do this week, but filled with instructions from God about what this week will be about. Not, not, not afraid, but confident that the week ahead will be once again charged full of spiritual gospel blessings for us. You know what's interesting? In the New Testament, when by, the, by the time of the New Testament, the author of Hebrews picks up this rest from war that Joshua achieved. And here's what the book of Hebrews says. If Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Now there's a contrast being made here and it's staggering. First of all, he's saying there is this rest that Israel enjoyed through the victories achieved by Joshua, right? It, 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 that's talking about the book of Joshua. But this rest that Israel enjoyed, it was impartial. It was incomplete at best. It was fragile and temporary because the victories achieved by Joshua was imperfect. It was impartial. It was not incomplete. But the contrast is that now, whoever enters God's rest, the rest achieved by God through Jesus Christ, this rest is complete. It's perfect. It's eternal. It's unbreakable. You cannot spoil this. You cannot break this. Because this rest of God is something that was achieved through Christ, through the victory of Christ, which is perfect and complete and eternal. It's a victory over the powers of sin and darkness. And therefore, God's people can enter this rest. An eternal rest that hinges on a complete victory. So today, we strive to enter that rest. Isn't that what we're doing every time we go to church, every Sabbath Sunday? We're not going to church to find some nugget of wisdom. We're not going to church just to feel a bit better about ourselves. No, that's not it. That's not deep enough. What we're striving to do is to enter the rest, the gospel rest, the rest given to us in Jesus Christ. That is what we're trying to do. Every Sabbath, we are once again decisively recollecting not just the past few battles of the past week, but the past battle at the cross, the ultimate battle won. The war is over. Jesus has overcome. Every Sabbath, we are once again decisively reaffirming the new covenant bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. Every Sabbath, we are once more receiving the spiritual blessings poured out to us through Jesus Christ. That is what we're doing every Sabbath Sunday as we gather as a church we rejoice and rest in God and in His gospel because through Christ, we are more than conquerors. We are victors over all things. And that is why as we strive to enter that rest, no one 
will fall by the same sort of disobedience. God will keep us from falling. We will find the strength we need to move forward once more in obedience, in obedience, day by day by day, even though it's full of challenges and trials, even though it may seem boring and ordinary, we will go day after day, hour after hour, moment after moment, deciding to obey God by faith. So let us strive to enter the rest so that no one may fall by disobedience. That is how we may persevere and keep on a battle to the end. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you because even though we face countless battles in this life, we know we are not alone. You are fighting the war for us and victory has been assured and secured. Lord, we persevere because we can rest in you. Thank you, Father. Help us be confident and rest in that. Help us be filled with, be filled with joy and peace, with this certainty, and help our hearts rest so that we may continue on this lifelong battle to walk along a path of faith in you. Father, we thank you. Hear our prayers and grant us mercy once more. Charge our weak fool with blessings and may your presence be with us every step of the way. Thank you, Lord. We praise and worship you. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening again and worshiping with us through this online means. We hope you have a blessed week ahead. God bless you.